Show me what it means to be a man 
Father, we thank you this morning for the life that you give us, and we ask this morning that you would grow us, that you would grow our faith, that you would increase our ability to press into you. Father, would you teach us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. If you were one of our, one of our kids, K through five, you can be dismissed to Sunshine Kids Club. Good morning, everyone. A little question for you. When was the first time you remember saying a lie? Like a real lie, not, not accidental lie, but like a uh, premeditated, planned out, going to commit to the lie lie as a kid. I know as parents, the first time we catch our kid in a lie, we're shocked, forget that we at one point were kids and often put in the same place. On Monday, many of you know, I, I was called in to, to do my civic duty to uh, see if I was going to get picked for jury duty. I did get picked. Still in it. Got another, I guess, half a week of it, so I can't say anything more about it, which is really hard for those of us that like to talk. And, uh, and I'm really, although I don't, I don't know, I'm not going to ever want to talk too much about this one. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's difficult in, immersed in that nine to five all week. And, and you're just sitting there going, the whole reason that we have to do this is because people lie. Because we don't believe people because lying could exist. And, I, and it made me start to think about, okay, how did I, how was I able to avoid being in this mess? You know, how did I, how was I uh, given the grace to not be involved in the, in, in, in the criminal world, not, not allowing, uh, you know, the, the choices that we make? And, 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 and all I had to think of was that question, okay, you know, early on, I remember there was a few times that I, that I lied, you know, the parents, teachers, um, and, and there's one in particular, my third grade year, uh, Mr. Hill was a large man who often, I went to a Christian school at a time when corporal punishment was still allotted to the teachers, and he had a very large paddle hung up, and he often would share stories about how high kids would jump. And so I was not motivated to tell the truth to this teacher when he caught me cheating on a spelling test. Uh, and I also was not very good at cheating. So he, he uh, we had the old, you know, the old desks with the little compartments. Apartment. I guess not as old as some of the desks some of y'all had, but it was uh, my, my age of, of old desk, and I had the, the list in there, the, the words in between two trapper keepers. I had the red Corvette one like most of us did, um, and so uh, as he's telling the words, I would slide it out, put my head down, write the next one, and I got a little overconfident, started going a little ahead of him, writing the words down. <laughs> At one point, he, he said, Matt, step away from your desk. And I can't imagine, because Sawyer is this, you know, he looks like me and at that age. And I just can't imagine Sawyer doing this. But at the same age that he is now, eight years old, and I, I walk away and immediately get into fight or flight. And, uh, and, and he walks up, and he pulls it all the way out, and he looks at my 
paper him, and he, he sees that I'm like five words ahead of him. And uh, d- are, are you cheating? Nope. <laughs> it didn't take me very long at all to decide that I was going to lie, and I was going to keep lying, and I was not going to recant, and I was going to... And, and so he, you know, after class, we sit down, and all I'm thinking is, I am not... I'm sorry, I'm not getting let down on... And, uh, and so to this day, I remember him looking at me like going, really? You're just going to keep... You're not going to admit to this. And, and I think he could see the fear in my eyes and decided that that was enough, and he knew that what I knew, and I just wasn't going to admit it. And, you know, when we, when we look at scripture, you know, and we're, we're, we're in the middle of a, we're just starting, I guess, uh, Dave started last week, a, a series on standing up to our adversary. And one of the titles of our adversary is father of lies. Jesus calls him the father of lies. That means that the originator of the concept of mistruth, of lying, of twisting, of of misdirection comes from him, our adversary. So we should expect that our experience in the spiritual warfare is going to involve lies. It's going to involve a need to have discernment, to understand when when am I being lied to, when am am I lying? because there's a difference, right? What, what is the difference between that? So I asked, you, I asked you, when was the first time you lied? When was the first time you believed a lie? When was the first time you realized, I've been lied to? That's a very different experience as you consider that, but also an understanding that we are still being lied to, that the adversary, the father of lies, still utilizes this uh, strategy in warfare that he chooses to try to persuade you away from the truth. Because understand something, he can't use truth to persuade anyone to follow after him or to reject God. He has to use lies. Because when the truth comes out, it's clear. Why would I ever run away from a God that loves me. I, I, I would always choose God, but he has to lie. He has to twist it. And so from the very beginning, he's been lying to us and he's been twisting the truth to try to persuade us to reject a God that loves us. And so we need to realize that this is part of our adversary's strategy is lying. And so as we are going to look at this armor of God, the very first one that comes up is the belt of truth. And so we're going to look at that today. Consider what, what is this belt of truth and how does it help us stand up against our adversary? Now, Paul outlines and describes the armor of God in Ephesians 6. And so we're going to start there. Uh, so if you have your scriptures, open up to Ephesians 6. But we're just going to be there briefly because it's just one sentence. When, uh, when Paul says, uh, talks about the belt of truth, we're mainly going to be in John 8 a little bit later. But I have a few other verses I want to, I want to just kind of look at and highlight on our, until we get over to John 8. Uh, John 8, I think, is a great example of, of this teaching on our adversary being a father of lies and how that affects us uh, as we seek to stand up against our adversary. But if you open up to Ephesians 6, I want to repeat a little bit of what uh, Dave taught on last week as he introduced this series. We're going to look at uh, just verse 13 and 14. It says, therefore... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. So we have this first piece of armor that Paul 
describes. And as I am reading through the different elements and understand that the order is important, and in fact, um, he's, he's essentially giving an order based on what a soldier would put on first. And so this belt is the first thing that a soldier would put on, which is interesting. It really just shows that what he's describing is different from the belts most of us have on. Uh, we tend to put them on last to hold our pants up, right? Uh, for, the, for the soldier at the time, this is really more of a girdle, and I, and I think I have a picture. Look, you know, we, we've seen all the Roman period uh, movies, and we see the soldiers uh, having this on. So it, it served several functions. It, uh, it, it, the sword was attached to it, so it held the sword. It would keep the breastplate in place, and, and, and so it, it, it kind of held it all together, kept everything together. Um, but it also indicated whether a soldier was on active duty or not. Whenever you were ready for battle, you would tighten it. Uh, when you were off duty and could relax, you kind of let, let things go. Now, throughout Scripture, we know that the, the, the you know, gird your loins thing was a, was a common uh, exhortation to people when, when, when a prophet or when a, a soldier or a leader of, of the military would say, you know, gird your loins, that was a, a way of saying, get ready, we're about to get into some action. You are, you are getting into warfare at this point. And you know that they didn't have pants, they wore long tunics, uh, a lot of them would be down close to their feet, and so when they would get ready to have to move and get their legs free, they would have to take it up and kind of tuck it into their belt. Well, a Roman soldier, they didn't have a long tunic, but they did have these girdles, and it was, you, you stitched it up to kind of keep all your clothes and everything underneath tight so that you would not get tripped up. It kept everything together. And if you tried to go into warfare without this belt tight, your sword's falling off, your, your breastplate's is flipping up and getting in your face. So it just kind of, you had to start there. If you didn't have that on well, it wasn't going to go well for you. And, and so, it, you know, as I'm considering how this question, how does a belt of truth help us to stand up against our adversary, two thoughts kind of surface. And the first thought that I want to point out has to do with this idea that it's put on first and it's, it's kind of an active duty thing. It, I think it helps us as believers, as we go into spiritual warfare to have an active duty state of mind, have an active duty state of mind. Now, what does that mean? Well, how many times have you felt like this attack that you're experiencing just kind of comes out of nowhere, right? As soon as you kind of let your guard down, as soon as you feel like you finally arrived spiritually or I can coast now a little bit, it seems that the enemy doesn't stop, doesn't take a break, doesn't observe holidays or weekends. And, and so we need to understand that the exhortations that I read in scripture as pertaining to how we are to stand up against our adversary, always take this tone of as a believer, as long as you are taking in breath, following after Jesus, there is going to be resistance. There's going to be pushback. There's going to be all out attacks. And we need to have this belt of truth on to stay ready. In fact, Peter has a, has a passage, and I just want to put it up on the screen for you, First uh, Peter 1.13, and I'm using the New King James because it actually takes this, uh, this phrasing literally, and in a lot of our others, it, it kind of helps us with the understanding of it by saying, uh, he's just saying, be ready, stay alert. But the actual phrase is this, gird up the loins of your mind. So Peter's taking the same thing that Paul is saying about a belt of truth and applying it to really what the metaphor is all about. 
is that we need to be ready. Be sober and rest your hope fully on the grace, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gird the, this belt is not a physical thing. It's a metaphor of how we in spirit and mind and heart need to be prepared and ready because that attack is coming and we cannot rest. Paul later, when he's speaking to Timothy, uses the same soldier metaphor when he says a soldier doesn't get entangled in civilian affairs, but instead he is, has a single-mindedness, wants to please the officer that enlisted him. Now, again, Paul is using a soldier metaphor to say when we are putting on the whole armor of God, we're reminded that we're, we're not playing dress up here. This is actual warfare. And we need to have this thing on and ready to be reminded of the fact that an attack could come at any moment. And I love how in his words of Timothy uses that word entangled because that was the whole idea. You had this thing on there so that you would not become entangled on the things around you so that you would be free to stand firm and not trip your own self up. And it's so often that I feel like when I consider and I, and I am looking at my life at, at a present moment and I say, well, I'm just really under attack right now. And then I start to really think about it. And, and, and you know what? I've probably tripped myself up more often than I can blame someone else for these attacks. But certainly our adversary loves to keep an eye out for when I provide him opportunity. And when I begin to let my life unravel, instead of putting my hope fully in Jesus Christ, he can certainly leverage that. What Paul is describing to Timothy here and what he is really letting us know about this belt of truth concept is that our adversary wants to get into our hearts and create duplicity. And here's what I mean by duplicity. Duplicity of heart is this, it's Jesus plus blank. So I have to ask you, what's in your blank? What, fill in that blank. What is the thing that your, the adversary wants to walk into your life and kind of divide your heart up and say, okay, that's fine, continue to worship Jesus, but we're also gonna put this up on the shelf with Jesus. Warren Wearsby does, a, a, I think, a, a really good job of describing this duplicity of heart and the idea of integrity of heart. What is integrity of heart? He uses whole numbers versus fractions. This idea of integrity means you have a whole heart for Jesus, but as soon as you start to divide it up with other things, now you can only give half your heart to Jesus or two, maybe two things. Now you can only give you know, a third of it to Jesus or a quarter. And it just the more that you split it up, the less real estate Jesus has to inhabit your heart. Our affections are shared. James called it being a double-minded person, and you cannot stand. James said it was like being in the waves and getting knocked around. That's what being a double-minded person is like. You cannot stand firm against the adversary if you have a duplicitous heart. So this belt of truth that we are to put on first is that point in time every day when you get up and say, okay, God, I am ready and I am going to keep my eyes fully on you and I'm not going to split my heart because the moment that I begin to do that, my adversary can walk in and take advantage of that and I can trip myself up. This is why Jesus so often calls us to not be anxious. Why? It's not, that, it's not just that he doesn't want us to experience a stressed life. It's an understanding that the moment that I begin to, to, to be anxious about something, I'm splitting my heart. And our adversary can use that against us. So the belt of truth helps us when we 
are duplicitous. What is in that blank for you? What's that hang up? Our adversary knows us well. And I think from a young age, <laughs> there are certain things about us that get highlighted in the report, right? Anybody ever read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters? I, if you haven't, it's a great read and it's a great way of looking at it from this point of view of knowing that our enemy, they know us. And, and, and when the adversary sends out his workers or sets up the world system in such a way that twists the truth and, and, and presents lies to us, it is all done because we are known and our weaknesses are known. And, and so when we let that belt sag and kind of say, oh, I'm taking a break right now or take our eyes off Christ, it, it's, it's an opportunity to step in and say, well, we're going to take advantage of that right now. The second thought that I had about this idea of a belt of truth really comes down to the truth part. Because we have to ask the question, okay, we get the belt part, the, the metaphor being ready and being on alert. But what's the truth part? Because truth is a pretty big statement. You know, it's a pretty big word. What, what are we talking about? Well, I want to look at what Paul is referring to when he says belt of truth. Uh, anytime you're trying to figure out what an author in Scripture is, is defining a word as, it's usually helpful to just kind of take an immediate context and understand, okay, where else in the book of Ephesians does Paul define or use this word truth? And so there's really two. Uh, you don't have to go very far. Flip a few pages over to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, and we see the saving truth of Jesus is one element of, of what he means when we hear belt of truth. In verse 13, he says, In him, talking about Jesus, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So we see that when Paul is using the word truth here, he's on one hand referring to the gospel. That is the capital T, capital G, truth, the gospel. And we do not move off of the gospel. We don't say, okay, that was my first step. Now I'm moving on to something that is more relevant to my life. The gospel is relevant every day. We wake up every day and we remember this saving truth. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the first time that someone shared the gospel with you, the first time that you heard the gospel message, that was truth invading your heart. And getting in there and shoving away all that duplicitousness that we are born with, all the things that we worry about in that, that fallen heart state. The Old Testament describes it as scooping out a heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh that beats after the heartbeat of God. That's what's happening here when we hear that word of truth, saving truth. But on the other hand, there's a few chapters over, if you flip your page over. At least that's how my Bible works. Flip the page over to chapter 4, verse 20. We see the refining truth. And I think when Paul is using this word truth, he is using both concepts. In verse 20, he's now talking about what we would say the sanctifying portion of, of, uh, of this letter. Remember last week when Dave was talking about Ephesians briefly, the first three chapters being all our, all our wealth in the gospel and the last three chapters being the walk. 
And so Paul is describing the changed life. He says, but that is not the way you learn Christ. And what that he was referring to was this idea that, that I've had the truth of the gospel invade my heart, and yet there's no change. That, that wouldn't make any sense. That's a non sequitur. There should be change. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. The father of lies owns this world right now, right? God has given him a leash. God is sovereign over our adversary, but he has been allowed opportunity to set up a system that is all based on lies. And we, as being people of this planet born in our sin, our old self, as Paul describes it here, we propagate lies. And this is why as a small child, no one had to go up to me and say, okay, here's how you lie. No one had to go to you or your kids and say, okay, I'm going to teach you how to lie. Being deceitful is in our fallen nature. But the refining truth of Christ is that we put that off through the power of the Holy Spirit. We should become more enamored with the truth of Christ than the lies of our adversary as we grow in him. And so when we put that belt of truth on, we are, we are setting our eyes on that truth of Jesus, our, the gospel truth, the saving truth, and the refining truth, that sanctifying truth that takes an assessment of our hearts every day and lines it up next to the heart of Christ and says, okay, here's where we're working today. Here's where we're going to continue to allow the Holy Spirit to invade, continue to allow the Holy Spirit to change us and make us more like Jesus. And as we go out in this world, our adversary is walking alongside us and saying, no, it's not like that at all. You can't trust God. How could you trust him? He's left you alone. How could you trust him? He would never forgive you of that. And so we stand against those lies. I want to take us over to John 8 and look at a passage that I think really gives a clear teaching and a clear example of Jesus talking to a group of Jews about truth and lying and being a, a follower of the father of lies and what it looks like to stand up against it. And we're going to see the second thing that I, I feel like I want, to, I want to throw out there is that all truth begins with and runs through Jesus. Begins with, in that first time that we hear the gospel message, runs through in that every truth we hear filters through Jesus. It all starts and continues through Jesus. We cannot move on in our understanding and our relationship with Jesus if we've allowed certain lies to cripple us. We need to have that belt of truth on to stand against those lies so that we can abide in him. And this is what Jesus is calling them to do. In verse 31, he says, So Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, now what are we talking about here? Uh, the Jews who believed him in this context, if you were to look just a little bit up and, and chapter 7, verse 40, you see that when he is in Jerusalem, there's a division. Some Jews believed him to be the Christ and others did not because of where he was from. They didn't think that lined up with their understanding of where the Messiah was going to come from. So there were some that did believe this guy might be the Messiah. We're going to listen. We're going to give him a hearing. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, 
you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So there's a group of people that they hear him, they see the signs, he's done a couple miracles and they think, okay, this guy may be it. But then when Jesus begins to offer further truth about what it means to have a relationship with him, they kind of take a step back. And the reason being we're going to see is because they had already allowed the lies of their adversary to put a wedge in their hearts so that they could not hear truth. So they react to this idea of being set free. They don't really like that because they don't think there's anything to be, be set free from. Verse 33, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? You see what the lies of the adversary do. Uh, you know, I don't know if we, we don't exactly know what they're trying to say here, but if you know anything about the history of Israel up to this point, they are rewriting an awful lot of their history to say we have never been enslaved. You know, we're forgetting Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and currently Rome. Now, they weren't technically slaves of Rome. They certainly were not free. So we don't exactly know why they pushed back against this, but they did not like the idea of the insinuation that they were enslaved. And maybe it was a rough spot still going all the way back to Egypt. They didn't want that title put on them. But either way, they had a problem with that truth. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So Jesus is not talking about political enslavement. He's talking about the enslavement we all are born into when we are born in this fallen world. We all are born fallen in sin. We all are born enslaved to sin, and we require a Messiah to set us free. They had believed the lie that there was going to be no consequences of their sin because of their ethnicity. Simply put, at this point when Jesus showed up, not all, but a lot of the ethnic Jews believed they were the chosen people and therefore were going to get a pass. And it didn't matter how they lived. At the end of the day, God was going to judge all the Gentile dogs, people that were not chosen, and they were going to be invited to the feast, the party. And when Jesus shows up and says, no, nah, that's not how it works. You, you all have a sin problem and I'm here to solve that sin problem. They, they had a problem with that. See, they had been told a lie. They repeated that lie. And so they believed the lie. Jesus is going to explain all this to them. And I want to read through it all. Jesus answered them, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So he's going to start contrasting being family versus being a slave. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. So he's going to bring up a very interesting concept, this fathership concept. How you act is the, the family that you are in. So he's saying, I'm from the father. You don't recognize me because you're not of the father. In fact, you're of a different father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. 
And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father, or you are doing the works your father did. So he has yet to name the father. He's getting there. So they said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So they're, they're not liking where this conversation is going. So they decide to make it personal. And, and they apparently must have known enough about Jesus' background and, and his, you know, family origin story was starting to come out. And, and so I know some people didn't believe him because they didn't feel the Messiah was supposed to come from Nazareth. But also they heard this guy may have been born, you know, outside of, of marriage. You know, his mom was not even married to his dad when he was born. And that, those whispers start to come out. And so they're, they're like, hey, don't be calling us enslaved or not really true Jews by essentially by saying you don't follow your father Abraham. He's saying you aren't even really Jews. The thing that you take pride in that you think holds you exempt from judgment, you're not even that. And so they pull out the, oh yeah, well, we know a little bit about where you came from. You say you're from God, you were born in sin. We know that is not the only time that the Pharisees and some of the Jewish leaders play that card. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. And here we come to the core verse that I want to look at. You are of your father, the devil, and, you, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus is essentially saying this is a like father, like son situation. Based on how you are living, the lies you're believing and the lies you're telling, I can say that you are like your father, the adversary, Satan, the devil. You are living out of his character because that's his character. He cannot stand in the truth. He cannot use the truth in any way. He always twists it. Therefore, they cannot hear any further truth from Jesus. He says that in verse 45, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God, hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. This is some of the strongest words Jesus ever says to just a, a crowd. And we hear him say strong words to Pharisees and, and uh, leaders of the Jews, but some pretty strong words to say that you are like your father, the devil. But don't miss what he's, the undercurrent of what he's trying to communicate is that you cannot hear the truth because you have already believed the lies. And these are Jews who are described as the ones who believe. And here's what that tells me, that I believe in Jesus. I am a, a son of the Father. I am a child of God, and I cannot be taken from his hand. I, I am no longer a slave, but I can believe lies. When Paul says, put on the belt of truth, it's an understanding that 
at some point in our spiritual warfare, the saving truth of the gospel and the refining truth of the Spirit's work in our lives will run up against the lies of our adversary who steps in to say, no, you can't trust God. And from what I see of this conversation, it's this truth that a lie repeated is a lie believed. And over the years, this lie was repeated generationally that, hey, we're Jews. You don't have to worry about it. There will be no consequence of sin for us. The rest of the world will be judged, but we will be exempt. And then when Jesus shows up to say, no, we all have fallen short of the glory of God, they couldn't hear it because they had already believed the lie. So my question as we wrap up this morning is, what lies have we believed? What lies have we repeated? I want to go through just a quick list of a few that kind of came to mind when I was brainstorming this to see if it could be helpful for you because as we consider what are the lies I've repeated and what are the lies I've believed, I also want to say what is the truth that I can put on like a belt to stand up against my adversary? What is the truth that I need to focus at and hold on to, to be at an active duty kind of state of mind to say, no, when I hear that lie, I can throw this back at the adversary and stand firm. <clears throat> so we're going to go through this quickly. When I throw the lie up, if that is something that hits you and you think, yeah, that's, that's a message I hear. And the next slide is going to be the, the word of truth. Take a picture of it, write down that passage and go back later, meditate on it. <clears throat> the first one is a big one. First lie, I'm not loved. <clears throat> I'm not loved. James, I have a water bottle right behind you. Can you hand it to me? I always carry it up here and I never drink it. So I thought I won't have it up there. Now I need it. Thank you. I'm not loved. Let that sit in for a second. Has that lie ever been told to you and have you ever believed it? Well, I want to look at a word of truth up here for you. These are the words of Jesus. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, talking to his disciples. Abide in my love. And so we being his disciples, those that follow him, need to have that belt of truth on when that lie is communicated to us. <clears throat> I am loved. Here's the second one, the second lie that we run into. I am alone in my experience. Whatever that experience is, that temptation, that struggle, that suffering, rejection, our adversary will walk alongside us and see, see, you think God loves you? He has left you alone. He doesn't know what it's like. The belt of truth is this out of Hebrews, that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted yet without sin. Jesus, he experienced temptation. He experienced rejection. He experienced suffering. He experienced growing up in a fallen world, experienced death and loss and grief, all without sin. So when our adversary says, you're alone, you're not. Not to mention the community of faith that he has put around you, but this is one belt you can put on. The third 
lie I think that comes up often is I cannot grow past this. I cannot grow past this. Every time we trip up on a, a hang up or a sin habit that seems to have just taken hold of us, it's that part that we can't ever seem to tuck into our belt that is always tripping us up. The thing that our adversary walks up alongside of us right afterwards and says, are you going to ask God for forgiveness again? Do you realize how many times you've done that? You are not going to grow past this. You will carry this. You will never find victory. And that, that lie is repeated over and over and over. And pretty soon we catch ourselves saying it and repeating it over and over again. And I want to take us to 1 Corinthians 13, 12 and remember and repeat back to the adversary when we stand up to say, I'm still growing. One of my favorite lines that I like to say is there's only one end. Everything before it is just progress. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. God knows perfectly well what we are struggling with, and he calls us to trust him, to follow after him, to trust him with the process, to trust him with the discipleship dirty work of having to realize that every now and then I'm going to go back to the mud and roll around in it. And every single time he puts a hand out and says, trust me, we are going to grow past this. I will finish what I've started in you. The next lie I think that gets repeated is the one that says, I am useless. I have no purpose. I'm just here. You ever felt that one? Ever said that one to yourself? God gives me purpose. If we are God's handiwork, Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Understand something that when you called out to God in that first time you, you took hold of the gospel truth and you began to follow after him, God already had all the things he had planned for you to give you purpose in this life. It's the adversary that walks along and says, nah, you don't have any purpose. You're useless. God never says that. We need to put that belt on sometimes. The fifth one I considered was, I'm too busy for blank. Whatever it might be, I'm too busy to have a, a time in God's word. I'm too busy to pray. I'm too busy to show love to that person. I'm too busy. I think this is a big one. I think it's a big lie that we just have no control over our busyness and we just have to get run over all the time. We're told in Matthew 6, God will supply my needs when I put my trust first, seek first the kingdom of God and all the rest will be given to us. That's a belt of truth where God calls us to trust him with our time and our treasure and our talent to say, if you just give this over to me and make me the priority, I will fulfill your needs. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to worry. You don't have to believe that you cannot have time for what God has called you to do. So two more, and they kind of are two sides of the same coin. I'm not sinning is a lie we believe. Whatever it is that you're doing that is outside of the will of God, which is the definition of sin. And we look at that and we redefine it. And we say, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm a special case. This is actually very close to the, the things that, that the Jews that, that Jesus were talking to in, in John 8. I'm not sinning. But it's the Holy Spirit that convicts me of sin. 
James says that, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. So yes, I don't walk around and say, yeah, you're, you're sinning, you're sinning, you're sinning. But I certainly don't say, oh, I'm, I'm exempt. What I'm doing now is perfectly fine, even though I can read through scripture and get convicted by the Holy Spirit who calls me out and says, nah, you need to stop doing that or you need to start doing this. And then the final one is kind of like I said, the other side of it, I cannot be forgiven. I cannot be forgiven. It's just too much sin for God too big of a sin for God. And again, we go to this belt of truth, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you could maybe add to my list of lies we believe. And there's been several good books out there that are actually called Lies We Believe and Lies Christians Believe and Lies Men Believe and Lies Women Believe. And it's a whole series Whatever it is that God is identifying for you this morning, though, there is a belt of truth to go with it, corresponding belt of truth of the words of Christ and the words of Scripture that we can put on and know that it allows us to stand against the lies of our adversary. So let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this word of truth in our lives that we can walk in victory in you, that we can stand in your truth pray that we would put on the whole armor of God as we continue down this list of things that you've, uh, these words that you gave to Paul as a, a metaphor and understanding of, of the resources we have, that we have not been left to fight this battle naked, but that we have been given what we need through the power of the Holy Spirit to stand firm in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Soften my heart
Yes, I 